Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. Today we're continuing our series, Celebrating the Word of God. And Dr. John Newfeld will help us discover what it means when we say, in fact, the Bible is the Word of God. So let's turn to our text in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. We live in a world of words. You know, everywhere you go, someone is saying something. You may be awoken in the morning by your radio and immediately either in song or on talk radio, someone is speaking and expressing opinions. You pick up your newspaper filled with words. Libraries are but the beginning of words. You know, the books I've accumulated throughout my lifetime of ministry are now matched and far exceeded by the books I have available through electronic technology. The internet is filled with words. Your car radio greets you with more words. Talk radio, sports radio, news radio. You arrive at work and the first thing you do is read the office memos or the minutes from the meeting the day before. Words tumble off the page. Your colleague greets you and you exchange a a few pleasantries and perhaps a few more words are spoken. And when you finally come home at night, your family speaks words. You turn on the television. More words come pouring from the screen into your ears. You read a book. You surf the net. you, You check your Facebook page filled with words. The mail has arrived, advertising, covered with pictures and words. And by the time you fall asleep, you should know that with each day, you have been bathed with words. You know, I can't begin to calculate the amount of words each of us hears and speaks each day. And all of us are aware that the words we hear shape the kind of people we are. That's why parents are concerned with the words that their children hear. Political parties at election time know that if they shape their words well, they might gain the power to govern a nation. Educators know that if you can get students to pay attention to the right kinds of words, it will direct their careers, even their future incomes, and the way in which they live their lives. And revolutionaries have always known that if you inflame people with words, they can do unspeakable things. And cultural elites also know that if you change the words people use to describe things, you can get people to approve of and disapprove of things which they might not do unless you carefully shape them with words. Words are powerful things. But in the culture in which we now live, where words have been multiplied as in no culture before us, it's easy to feel that we are drowning in this world of words. Furthermore, it's also easy for us to feel that the Word of God is just one more word that gets lost among a cacophony of sounds of words that are simply overwhelming. But, and this is the entire point of this series on celebrating the Word of God. God's words are unlike anything else. Listen to what God says about his own words, and I'm reading from Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks words, unlike any other words, God's words are actually God's messengers that go out from him and immediately accomplish what God directs them to do. God's words form powerful decrees that cause events to actually happen. 
You know, we might say that when God speaks about things in the future, he not only describes what will happen, God's words are the appointed means by which something in the future actually happens. Consider the creation account. Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. No matter what God says, his words simply comes into being by the very act of speaking. It is in this sense that God's words are different from yours or mine. Words by humans might be well-crafted to influence and shape the direction and attitudes of people, but God's words by themselves create. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. God speaks into nothingness, and something, be it stars or planets or organisms or DNA or subatomic particles, simply exist. And that's why God, speaking in Jeremiah 23, verse 29, says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Or listen to Psalm 29, verses 49. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. So what do we mean when we say the Bible is the word of God? Well, let's see if we can trace this line of thought by noticing that the phrase word of God is used in four different ways. Let's see if we can trace this. First of all, the Word of God can refer to God's direct communication. That is to say, there are times when God is physically heard when he speaks. Deuteronomy 4 verse 33, Moses asks the question of the people of Israel who were with him on the plains of Moab. Here's what he asks. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Now, of course, he's referring to the encounter that a nation of two million people had with God at the foot of Mount Sinai. According to that account in Exodus 20, God verbally spoke the words of the Ten Commandments so that all two million heard his words at the same time. The response of the nation to this encounter is recorded in Exodus 20, verse 19. The people say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. It would appear that hearing the voice of God speak words is an experience that can be more than human beings can bear. But we do know that prior to the fall, God would speak directly to Adam. It would appear that this fearful reaction to God's voice only occurs after the fall and the advent of sin. But we do know that there are other occasions where God has spoken using his own heard voice. For instance, when Jesus is baptized, the Father actually speaks, indicating that this was his beloved Son in whom he was well pleased. You know, what's interesting of these events is that clearly God is able to speak in such a way that he can be understood. Now, I say this because there have been both theologians and philosophers who have argued that all human speech or all human language— is a product of human experiences and thoughts, and therefore language is bound as an expression of cultural experiences and cannot express the divine. 
But the fact that God speaks in human language, which can be understood, means that God has, in some fashion, condescended to speak in our language. Furthermore, when God speaks, it is possible to understand what is being said in such a way that we accurately understand the communication of God. See, I mention this because, again, as some theologians would have us understand the matter, all communication is imperfect. It forms first as an idea in the mind, and then that idea gets coded into words, which can never fully express that which the mind conceives, and those words must be heard by someone else who must then decode those words spoken and try to understand what was in the mind of the person who wished to communicate in the first place. From this perspective, all speech and all understanding of speech is a fallible process. But clearly, when God speaks, the one speaking is also the one who has formed or created the hearer. God has deliberately made us so that we might both hear and understand what he has said. So then when God said, you shall have no other gods before me, or you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not murder, in each of these cases, God both communicated perfectly using human language, but more so. He communicated in such a way that the hearer would understand perfectly what it was that God wished to say. To disbelieve the word he spoke or to disobey the word he spoke was to disobey or disbelieve God. There was no gap between the communication of God and God himself. God and his word is one and the same. Or to put it another way, we simply cannot make a distinction or build a gap between God himself and the word of God. Now, we notice that God himself sometimes verbally speaks so that everyone hears him. But in truth, that is not God's normal way of communicating with the creatures he has created. And when we come back, we will look at three other ways in which God speaks words, and we will also try to get a clear picture of exactly what we mean when we say that the Bible is the Word of God, and why to disbelieve or disobey any part of the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God. See, unless we get a clear picture of what that means, the Bible will always seem to us a discussion starter rather than the end of the discussion in which we know of certainty that God has spoken. It's so important to understand how the Word of God is so intimately connected to who God is. A great reminder that God's own words are a direct reflection of Himself. We've also seen that when God speaks, there's a creative power and purpose in His words that clearly separates us from Him. After the break, Dr. Neufeld helps us understand how God still speaks to us today, primarily through His Word. In Doubt is the young adult ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. It's where young adults like me are encouraged to wrestle with questions about life, faith, and culture. So many young adults find themselves in doubt, and our goal is for that to only be temporary where myself and others like me can instead feel the support and community of In Doubt. The main focus is the weekly podcast with host Ryan McCurdy, where we hear conversations with recent guests like pro-life activist Stephanie Gray and President and CEO of Compassion Canada, Barry Slonwhite. Coming up, In Doubt will be hosting two events that I'm looking forward to, a live panel coming in the spring and a live and in concert show coming in the fall. To find out more about In Doubt and the other resources offered, go to indoubt.ca or call 1-800-663-2425. 
we began our discussion of the Word of God by noticing that in a world of words, God's Word is unlike any other word that we've heard. We also noticed that God speaks His Word in different ways, but each is indeed the Word of God. We said that there are at least four ways in which God speaks. The first is that God speaks directly in that His actual voice is heard. That is, the Word of God can refer to God's direct communication. Now, secondly, we can say, the Word of God can refer to God's communication through a prophet. Consider the events of Moses at the burning bush. God is speaking directly to him, and God tells him that he is aware of the suffering of his people in Egypt. In response, God is sending Moses to Egypt, and Moses will demand that Pharaoh let Israel go. Now, Moses is reluctant, and finally, he says, I'm slow of speech. You know, I'm a bad speaker. Stumble over my words. I will make a mess of things. And God condescends and allows Aaron, Moses' brother, to go with him, and Aaron will speak on Moses' behalf. And then if we go forward to Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, God clarifies the arrangements. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now, from that statement, we can see exactly what is meant by the idea of a prophet. Pharaoh would not have doubted even for a moment that when Aaron spoke to him, his dealings were not really with Aaron at all. They were with Moses. Aaron was merely the mouthpiece for Moses. Anything Aaron communicated was what Moses wanted to have said. So also it was with the Old Testament prophets. Listen to Jeremiah 1 verse 9, which is part of Jeremiah's call from God to be a prophet. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Indeed, if we go back two verses in verse 7, God says to Jeremiah, whatever I command, you shall speak. So you can see the progression. God speaks to the prophet, and the prophet, just like Aaron, speaking to Pharaoh, is communicating not his own thoughts and words, but rather he is speaking what God says. You know, a most fascinating example of this is seen in the case of Balaam, the jaded and tainted prophet for hire, whom the king of Moab hired to curse Israel. God intervenes, and this diabolical and false prophet is arrested by God, And God will not allow him to say anything he wants, as was his custom. Remember, Balaam said what needed to be said in order to get paid. But God confronts this false prophet and terrifies him half to death so that Balaam will say, Though the king of Moab would give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord. And that is prophecy. The book of Isaiah contains no less than 35 references to the statement, Thus says the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel, after having been shown visions by God, Ezekiel then records in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, And God said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. This matter was so important that much was made of the matter of identifying the difference between a false prophet and a true one. But once a true prophet was identified, what he said was considered just as authoritative as when God actually spoke without a prophet. To disobey or to disbelieve the prophet was to disobey or disbelieve God. So as we have seen, the word of God can refer to God's direct speech, or it can refer to the speech of a prophet who speaks directly on behalf of God. Well, thirdly, the word of God can refer to written words. This, of course, is in reference to the Bible. 
You know, tomorrow I'll deal with the issue of why these 66 books that make up our Bible are in fact the written words of God. But for now, let's simply agree that when the words of a prophet are placed on paper, they do not lose any of their authority. Indeed, several advantages are gained by writing down the words of God. First, as we know, they are accessible to a great deal more people. Now, before the advent of the printing press, it was not possible to mass-produce words in the way in that it is possible today. But still, words written on paper or on papyri or even stone tablets could be copied accurately onto another piece of paper or papyri or so forth, and these words still remain the Word of God. Nothing has changed when they are copied. And thus, this word can be made available to those who were not there when the prophet actually spoke. Now, of course, we can think of more advantages. Once words are written down, it is possible to examine them, to reread them, and to remember them much more accurately. The God who exists took great care to ensure that his words would be written down. But when were they written? Well, let's go back to our example of the giving of the Ten Commandments. As you'll remember, God's voice spoke those commands, and they were heard by every one of the two million people that were gathered at Mount Sinai. But those words spoken were put into written form. Exodus 31 verse 18 says, And he, that is God, gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. It's almost certainly the case that this is the first ever written word of God. Moses would later write the first five books of our Bible, but the very first text was not written by Moses. It was indeed the writing of God. Now, of course, we know that Moses broke those tablets in anger because of the sin of the people in making a golden calf and thus violating what was written. But those words were replaced with another set of tablets that Moses wrote. And this is the point. No matter how many times those words are reproduced, they continue to be the very same powerful, dynamic words of God. The same can be said sometime later. Uh, let's read Jeremiah 36, verses 1 to 2. There it says, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. And so Jeremiah does precisely that. Then at Jeremiah's command, his scribe Baruch is to go and read the words to the king. The king listened, then took out his knife and cut up the scroll and threw it into the fireplace. And as we hear and read about this later, we're supposed to smile. Jeremiah can reproduce this scroll because these are the words that are given him from God, and God can speak these very same words again, and they can be written down again, and nothing but nothing changes. Now, this brings us back to the central premise of what we have been saying. God's words are unlike any other word, for they have divine power, and the speaking of these words accomplish exactly that for which God sends them. They're sometimes spoken directly by God, and they're sometimes spoken through a prophet, but all those words which God wanted available to people at all times, those words which he wanted people to inspect and digest, were written down. But the authority of God's words is in no way diminished when they were written. 
It makes absolutely no difference whether they were actually said at the foot of Mount Sinai and physically heard by God's people, or if you bought a Bible off of Amazon or downloaded it on your smartphone and found Exodus 20 and read them. The same authority and power of God remains undiminished. To read the Bible is to hear the Word of God. Consider that. Allow the impact of that to grip you. For people who say, I would so like to hear God speak, pick up your Bible and read and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see what you're looking at. For this word is so unlike all other words, 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 words that are heard everywhere else. This is the word of the living God. That makes me want to add one more thing about the word of God. The word of God can refer to Jesus. In John 1.1, we're told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, meaning that there can never be a distinction made between God and what he speaks. And then in John 1.14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The powerful Word of God that accomplishes all that God sends it to do became a baby and grew to become a man and died on a cross for us. That's why in Revelation 19, verse 13, we are told, the name by which he, that is Jesus, is called, is the Word of God. And so whether we, in the final day, see Christ face to face, or whether we open our Bibles in the morning and have our devotions, we have been in God's presence, and he has spoken to us, and we are transformed. Thanks for your message today, John. You know, in these areas, sometimes there's a lot of confusion because a lot of people come forward and say, they're prophets of our age or they have a new revelation. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I'm going to be responding to this, Ben, in the next two broadcasts. Uh, We're going to talk about why these 66 books, and then we're also going to say why the revelation of God is complete. We're not looking for another holy book, and uh, we're going to make a very clear distinction between what someone might hear from God today and what God has authoritatively said for all times, the difference between something that's immediate and a supra-cultural truth. Well, I think this line pretty much sums it up. To read the Bible is to hear the Word of God. As Christians, it's so important that we get back to the heart of rediscovering the beauty, wisdom, and power of Scripture. I pray that we might get back to cultivating a passion to know and love His Word, for that is to know and love God himself. I hope this message has blessed you today as we've learned about the ways in which we hear from God. So be sure to tune in tomorrow as we continue this series, looking at why the Bible contains only 66 books. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Today we want to share a unique opportunity to impact our nation and the world with the gospel. The world has come to our doorstep and never has there been a greater opportunity to share the gospel to all those who are making Canada their new home. Back to the Bible, Canada is launching its new international ministry initiative and it begins right here at home with the daily Bible teaching program of Dr. Newfeld translated into three key languages beginning with Mandarin and to be broadcast online through podcast and mobile application, the most accessible mediums of our day. Your support allows the launching of this new initiative to a national and global audience and today the impact of your gift can be doubled. Your international gift this month 
will be matched up to $25,000 by others who share our vision for Bible teaching and the desire to maximize this great ministry opportunity around the world. So call us today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.